0: Today you have a chance to become a premium member of the podcast. Click one of the premium membership levels and you can get everything from a free book by an AGarts artist to free postcards to extra bonus interviews to the chance to have a piece of writing critiqued by me and a free workshop or reading by Mary Swander. So go to those show notes, scroll down, and click to become a premium member. Thank you so much for your support. Today, we're featuring two farmer storytellers from the 2023 Practical Farmers of Iowa Conference. Our first teller is Arlen Kaufman. Arlen owns and operates Green Ridge Family Farm near Weldon, Iowa, a sister Amish and Mennonite community to Fremartintown. He and his wife, Sue, have five children. Their operation started with square hay bales in 2008 and today includes laying hens, a small cattle herd, corn, soybeans, alfalfa, Rye, oats, and wheat.
1: Take it away, Arlen. When I felt that heavily, fully loaded manure tank shift the back end of that big tractor sideways in the middle of that soft, single lane dirt road, I knew I was in big trouble. When it ended a few seconds later with a terrible crash, the only sound in my head was a little voice saying, "What will Uncle Morris say now? So Uncle Morris was in some ways a typical Iowa farmer about my size five five ten to twelve. He had dark hair, he combed it neatly, he had a nicely trimmed beard. He was a diligent worker. but there were some things about him that were unusual. He lived by himself in a trailer on his, on his farm of fair to finish pigs and crops. He never married. He never had children of his own. And so he enlisted the help of his nephews whenever he could for the farm work. And my father was not a farmer. We lived a mile down the road. So I was one of the lucky ones from the tender age of 11 or 12 I helped Uncle Morris on the farm, take care of the pigs and their poop, farm the land and build buildings. So Uncle Morris was, was kind of unique in that he built every building on his farm by himself, almost by himself from start to finish with the help of course of his nephews and family. Maybe not so much because he couldn't afford a, a contractor but because he doubted whether they could do it to his exacting standards. So we, when, when we built things with Uncle Morris, everything was done right and it was made to look right. So it didn't matter if it was underground, it still had to be square. You had to have those concrete walls thick and lots of rebar. If you, cut, if you were cutting barn metal, it didn't matter if it went behind J trim, it still had to be cut in a, neat, in a neat fashion. If you were cutting a board, it didn't matter if the board wasn't attached to something, you still had to square it up with a pencil and cut it square. So it had to be done correctly. Not only was he great at building, but he could also repair farm machinery to be better than new. His philosophy was if it breaks and you need to fix it, fix it better so that it, you don't have to fix it again maybe in a year or two. And I once, I once heard him remark that he kind of wishes they would leave the electronics out of things so that When it breaks, he can fix it with a torch, a sledgehammer, or a welder, and a welder. So it was a little difficult to work for him in those early years. He didn't see any reason why anyone, even if they were 11 or 12, putting forth sufficient effort, couldn't meet his standards. And not always were those easy to meet, and sometimes uh, the... the admonishment was was a little tough, was a little crushing to deal with. But I learned to respect Uncle Morris uh, in my years of working with him all the way up through my teenage years. I never heard one word, one curse word come out of his mouth that I can recall. So I learned to respect him. I left the farm a little later on in my, in my uh, early 20s. I took a teaching job at, a, at our uh, congregation's small Amish Mennonite school. And I wasn't on the farm as much. And then there was an opportunity to buy a farm around the corner from Uncle Morris. And he encouraged me to take the opportunity. And so with thanks to those of you who were paying your taxes back then, I got a low interest beginning farmer loan from the government and purchased that land. And I worked it uh, after school and on Saturdays and throughout the summer. But I, but I borrowed machinery from Morse. That was how it worked. And it, it worked nicely in exchange for helping him on his farm. So we, we kept up that way. So it was that on a beautiful, clear, blue skied November afternoon, Saturday afternoon, I laid my schoolwork down and I headed to the farm. The air was filled with the you know, the, the sweet dust of crop smell, the gentle throb of diesel engines mixed with the honking of Canadian geese, bright blue sky. And I was going to haul hog manure from Morse's farm up to my farm. It was, that was what I relied on for my nitrogen input for the coming corn crop. And today was the day for me to do that. It was working out that, that I could borrow the machinery, Use the manure from his farm and go. So I got there, loaded it up, got got up into the big machine, the big John Deere tractor with a 9,000-gallon tank behind it with four giant flotation tires on each side, and this tank. In, in order to 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 make it work well around corners and in the field, the front and rear axles of this tank turn relative to the hitch of the tractor, so it works really neatly. Uh, kind of like a giant serpent. And it can become, as I was about to find out, a very slippery serpent. But I enjoyed this opportunity, not so much, I wasn't hugely in fond of of machine work, but believe it or not, even even Amish Mennonite scholars can can cause one to desire therapy sometimes. And, And driving a big machine that didn't ask questions, it just did exactly what I told it to do with all 400 horses, was kind of like therapy for me, up until this point. So, loaded the tank, took off from my farm, it was hard surface, and then gravel, and then dirt road for the last little bit. So, just before I got to that last hill, to my farm, I stopped and talked to the neighbor who was mending his fence. I didn't get that chance very often, but I stopped there and talked to him. I got back in the tractor, put the parking brake off, and accelerated down that last hill big mistake. I should not have accelerated. So I failed to to comprehend that there at the bottom in that soft dirt, it wasn't muddy. It was just big, soft ruts. A disaster was awaiting. So I accelerated. Probably by the time I got down to the bottom of that long dirt hill, I was probably doing 13 to 15 miles an hour. I should have been doing like six or eight. But anyway, when when that tank hit those ruts, it shifted it sideways just enough to push the back end of that tractor over. And immediately I reacted to try to get the tractor back into the middle of the road. But when I turn like this, guess what? The back of the tank goes like this. And so I go towards this ditch and I correct to try to get to the middle. And then the tank pushes me toward this ditch. And so I correct and I'm just desperately trying to keep this 73 foot machine from in between the two ditches. And there were about three giant whiplashes until all of a sudden I saw it, the end was coming. And I cried out to God for help, but there was a tree and a culvert and we were headed straight toward it. There was nothing I could do. The tractor went down and just before I hit the tree, the, the tank came behind, the tires caught, rolled on its side and with a giant crash, it went up on its top and came down. And the tractor stopped, immediately installed, and I hit the console with my chest. And then all was quiet. Except for the little voice inside my head saying, what will Uncle Moore say now? There was no way to, f- to know except to find out, right? So I pulled out my flip phone, managed to dial him. Hello? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I crashed the manure tank. Silence. Are are you okay? I, I don't know. I, I think so. And then what he said next really kind of took me by surprise. He said, do you need me to bring any toilet paper? So in this this particular situation, there are only two possible reasons why you would need toilet paper. And I've never gotten around to asking him which one he meant. But I knew when he said that, that it was going to be okay. Well, the the manure spill had to be contained. It had to be cleaned up. The tank, we had to get a crane out, set the tank up, limp it back to the shop, put it in the shop, and I knew without being told that I would be expected to help fix the damage. Uncle Morris. He, he made a few comments about maybe reducing speed on the yeah. downhill side, but he didn't spend a lot of time wringing his hand, blaming he said that he would help me fix the tank, which is good that he did because I'd probably still be working on it after how many years. But anyway, we got, we got jacks and torch, welder parts, and we beat and we heated and we fixed. And after a while, we got the tank back into pretty decent shape. And he said, well, we got it to this point. Why don't we go ahead and paint it? And so we sandblasted it and painted it. And when it was done, it was actually quite a bit nicer than it was in the beginning. Now, Uncle Morris has been gone for just a little over a year. He went on to his eternal reward. But this story will always be with me, and especially it comes up when I I get into situations of disaster. So this is something we all have in common. Disasters happen. Maybe they're physical, natural, spiritual, whatever, whatever kind of disasters. Some are caused by me. Some are caused by you. Some are caused by God or not, depending on your theology or lack of it. The rest are probably caused by either the Republicans or the Democrats. But anyway, (laughs) disasters happen. So when disasters happen, then what? But Uncle Morse's example is an example that I aspire to live up to. He extended grace, he helped by working together, we worked together to fix the problem, and it was made even better than it was before. That's an example I would love to live up to, wouldn't you?
0: to Arlen's story about his manure tank, we're now traveling across the ocean to another earthy society, to another lad, Donald O'Connor, who is attempting sustainable agriculture himself. And here's his tale.
2: Well, it being in this time of year when decent men pull out their hair, in idleness and dark despair, long winter nights to pass, but to do the pub religiously, or burn your brains on Sky TV. Now neither much appealed to me, so I took an evening class. Encouraged by this new adventure, towards organic horticulture, I pondered on my future, so earthy and so pure. And I bought a folder, leather bound, and I dug and I wrecked a patch of ground. And then began to search around for stocks and horse manure. All roads and lands when I was young were strewn with horse and donkey dung On path and step and ladder rung and on every heel and toe So with confidence secure and set I searched for weeks on end and yet For all my bloody searching I would no horse manure to show Through cops and spa, well not a trace, not Evikins, not any place And in carn to more disgrace they told me all was sold So I searched the stables of Tavanna and the slatted sheds of sweet Mahana. Signs of marijuana, but no equine fecal gold. So with my organic dreams in doubt, I hit the pub for pints of stout. And music that might lift me out of my unearthly jam. Until Jerry Morris took a slug and turned and says, you stupid lug. If horse manure it is your bug, I've heaps of it at home. From back as far as ninety-nine, as sweet as any vintage wine. Upon if your carrots were to dine, they'd dance and sing with joy. And your spuds in numbers would increase, your parsnip's joy would never cease. Your onions would become obese, now that's the job, says I. Now the moral in this tale I tell Now listen up and learn it well And save it in your memory And bear it in your mind And though I'll conclude but here's the rub Not meaning any friends to snub But the more time spent within the pub The more harsh it you'll find
0: teller is Daquan Campbell. Daquan Campbell is the founder of We Are Rose Co-op, who also raises vegetables for his community on an urban quarter acre no-till plot in Waterloo's 4th Ward, his home neighborhood. We Are Rose is a network of local farmers, social enterprises, and consumers dedicated to elevating urban farming cooperation, building community, and increasing access to local and affordable, healthy food.
3: So my story begins on an early Saturday morning in September. If you can imagine Saturday mornings in September at the farmer's market, you can imagine the cool, crisp temperatures. You can uh, see the leaves on the trees turning. You can envision a shift in available produce from the long summer months of tomatoes, cucumbers, and summer squash being available to a shift in winter squash, pumpkins, leafy greens being piled high at the market tables. Um, at this time, my farm business, we are farming on a quarter acre, uh, operating at a very small scale. Um, we are distributing our products twice a week, once at a Friday roadside and another at a, um, at the Saturday farmer's market, which is where this story is taking place. Um, and I don't know if this is true at all markets, but at our market, Um, there's usually a handful of customers that come to the market 15 to 20 minutes early every single week. And um, on this particular day, I remember about 15 to 20 customers just kind of walking around the market, either conversing with their fellow market shoppers, uh, talking with some of their favorite vendors, or like some uh, patiently waiting to get their hands on uh, or get first dibs to the available products that day. And I would say probably about 5 to 10 minutes before the market bell rings at 8 a.m., uh, one of our loyal customers comes up, and her name is Miss B. Miss um, B, she's mid-60s, my skin complexion. I give her 5'3", five, 5'4", five, on a good day. Um, and she kind of gives that grandmother feel. Um, she has been supporting us week in and week out at this point. And she kind of comes up to the table. She greets me, greets the staff that's working with us. Um, and she's doing all this with a smile on her face. And she starts to scan the table, see what we have available. Um, and I notice when she gets done sca- uh, scanning the table, she looks up at me and her facial expression changes. And she goes, Where's my greens? And instantly, I kind of feel this sense of shame and guilt because one of the issues that we were running into at that time, uh, being that we're operating on such a small scale, is that we would run out of certain products at our Friday stand and wouldn't have enough available for the Saturday market. And we kind of strategized and thought about kind of holding some of our products back so we can have a nice looking table on Saturday. But um, the truth is that that Friday stand is very close to our garden, and that's kind of our target market and core audience. So uh, we made sure that those customers who frequented that uh, roadside stand had access to all that we had. So um, I kind of stuttered through this very simple sentence of telling her that we didn't have any greens available and that there would be about another week until we had some available to harvest in the field. And she, at that point, she kind of already had the knife in me. You know, she had this very sad and um, disappointment on her face uh, once I eventually stuttered through that sentence and let her know that we didn't have any. And at that point, she kind of turned the knife because she shared with me that she had uh, family members coming from down south and that she was very excited to share this experience about our fresh greens uh, with her family members because it reminded her of home. Um, and the fresh greens that I'm speaking of are very specific crops, uh, mustard greens, turnip greens, and collard greens. A lot of you may be familiar with the turnip greens. A lot of people use the bottom, the root, um, but in the, the black community, it's a very culturally relevant product. Um, and oftentimes these are utilized as cooked greens, not salad greens. Um, and I'm not the chef, but I'll give a, a quick rundown on how uh, okay. We usually prepare those greens. It's usually boiled and brought to a boil in some water, maybe some vegetable or chicken broth, uh, seasoned to taste, and some type of smoked meat added to it. Uh, but when you're cooking these greens, it's a huge undertaking for the customer to um, prepare those greens and get them ready to cook because you have to wash the greens. And a lot of customers talk about how that you know that takes a, a fair amount of time. Um, And the reason she was so invested in our product was because that our greens became uh, pre-washed and bagged. So essentially taking all of the work out of that, uh, out of, uh, from the customer. And we're doing that, you know, kind of before it gets to market, they're already pre-washed and they're essentially ready to cook. Um, So she, you know, still is, you know, telling me how disappointed she is. Um, And I eventually point her to another vendor who had a very similar product at the time, uh, the same products, but. Uh, they would be bunch screens, how most people are used to uh, receiving them. Uh, So probably 15 to 20 minutes goes by. Uh, She kind of grabs my attention before she leaves the market and, uh, you know, raises up the bag and said, I got what I needed. Uh, We had another brief conversation. Um, And at that point I started to share with her some of the concerns that we were, or challenges, I should say, that uh, we had at the time. Uh, We were operating on a pretty small scale. Um, We I was very early in farming. I'm still a beginning farmer, but at that time, I really was kind of wet behind the ears, if you will. Uh, didn't necessarily have my crop plan down or understood succession planting, all of those things. And when I was sharing those things with her, she probably was receiving that. These are just a bunch of excuses. Um, but it was, it was uh, me being very honest and transparent about where we were at that time. And I remember her stopping me in the middle of those uh, different challenges and her saying to me, you'll figure it out. And she kind of reverted back to that grandmother love, if you will, you know, it just kind of, she said, you'll figure it out, but what I heard is I believe in you. And essentially saying that, you know, you have done uh, the best that you can to serve us. I'm very excited about the, the crops and the products that we get from you. I know that you will, you know, figure it out and uh, do what you can to serve your community to the best of your ability. So um, I go home that day. Uh, there's a lot that transpires at farmers markets. And one of the things that I like to do is just kind of jot down notes about some of the things that may didn't go right at that market. Uh, things that we see as areas of opportunity. Because if you most people know if you're vendors at a farmers market, you know, if you try to uh, wait until the offseason to address some of these things, you're going to forget all of the great ideas that you had. So I hop in a Google Doc, I'm starting to put down different ideas of, you know, how can we better utilize the land that we have access to? Um, How can we gain more access to land? And I remember one of the third things I put on that Google Doc was how can we collaborate with other local producers, uh, like-minded producers? So I would say probably another week or two goes by and I had a conversation with a gentleman that I feel... Um, this conversation kind of changed the trajectory of my farming career, and this gentleman is named Schaefer Ridgeway. He is the owner of Southern Goods, um, right out in Waterloo, and we had mutual friends at the po- at this point in time, but hadn't ever really had a conversation. Uh, Schaefer asked me how my story was going to go. He didn't know he was going to be in it, so uh, he's he's sitting right here uh, at the front. Um, and at this time, you know, he was telling me how he was doing a soil health project. Um, how he had a desire to grow popular Southern foods that weren't readily available in Waterloo and how he was farming on two to three acres at the time, I believe. And to a guy, that may not seem like a lot of land to some, but to a guy currently farming on a quarter acre, uh, that was a sizable jump. Um, And I remember just this kind of light bulb went off in my head. And I think those words uh, from Miss B, you'll figure it out, continue to play in my head. And I think um, that is why I was so open to these conversations and didn't necessarily see them as issues, but as areas of opportunity. Uh, those words from Ms. B saying, you'll figure it out. Um, and, you know, I remember Schaefer and I continued to, you know, uh, build a strong friendship. We started to exchange, we exchanged contact information, started to exchange ideas, whether it be I listen to a podcast and send it his way. He goes to a conference and kind of share with me what he's learned. Um, and from there, we started to be very intentional about collaborating with other local producers. And I think it wasn't that easy. Um, You know, it sounds easy to collaborate with other producers, but we went through so many different peaks and valleys. Um, And I think what helped me stay the course was Miss B's words. You'll figure it out. Um, Challenges such as, you know, how do we uh, price our products? How do we uh, come up with a business model that benefits multiple local producers with very different operations? Because although we're considering working together, you know all of our entities are very different. And another issue would be during crop planning time, do we collectively crop plan? Do we uh, do crop planning and production planning that's going to complement the different operations, or do we continue to stay in these silos and, and work alone? Um, all of those things kept rearing its head and all those questions we had to navigate Um, and Miss B you know being at the the, the, at the forefront of my mind of you'll figure it out helped me stay the course through those things and I think uh, what I can say about us being very adamant about um, elevating cooperation amongst local producers is that I now realize that we are much stronger together Uh, there's strength in numbers and as a result of that uh, we arose starting off at that quarter acre neighborhood garden, has since transformed into a co-op with five local producers and on any given year, 15 to 20 acres of land dedicated to fresh fruit and vegetable production. And now Miss B and other folks in our community don't have to worry about getting turned away due to us not having enough product. That's my story of being on Common Ground. Thank you for listening.
1: I was born them good old and Sweet potatoes and black-eyed peas, green
2: made and vegan trees and green. It's best they grow them green. It's like gold, soft and easy, good and green. I'm by my green.
0: Oh no. I am now part of the Iowa Writers Collaborative, joining the ranks of Pulitzer Prize winner Art Cullen, Douglas Burns, Julie Gamick, Bob Leonard. Laura Bellin and more fabulous writers. The Collaborative is a network of substack pages, each writer in his or her own realm, but all linked together. I have created two substack pages. On the first page, Mary Swander's Buggy Land, you will get transcripts of Buggyland monologues and interviews, photos, and extra commentaries. On the second page, Called Mary Swander's Emerging Voices, you will hear young, diverse voices comment on current topics. Please tune in and subscribe at Substack.com, S U B S T A C K.com. And that brings our episode to an end. We were produced by Rick Brewer of Brew Haha Audio Productions in our studios on Main Street in sunny Fremartintown. We had support today and would like to thank the Cinepid Fund, the Iowa Arts Council, the Werner Ellathorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation, and the Callio Levine Fund, and all of you who have sent us individual private donations. We welcome your support. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe and never miss a podcast. Become a member or simply go to our website, agarts.org, and hit that red donation button. See you next time.
2: Don't you tell nobody, I love ру